The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah, you waiting. We waiting on reparations right now. So we say we rock from GA to the show me state. I hit the game winner like a Kobe play. Can't go to Texas. They took away the Roe v. Wade. So he say Greg Abbott. Yes, yeah, because of him. I got balls like Nicki Minaj cousin friend. Trump is still brain dead. Yeah, he shouldn't win. Turtle Mitch still trying to shut down the government. And the news got quite the addiction. They get high when the white girl's missing. They don't see the indigenous victims. You try to talk about it and they like, no, listen. Welcome to the show, y'all. Got a bunch of dope shit I want to show (laughs) y'all. I can't believe I just rhymed show y'all twice. Hey! Hey. I'm Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. We are waiting on reparations. Heard that shit up, B. Today we're here with Brussels-born MC Big Samir and Queens-born MC and vocalist Asia Black. Together they are the Reminders, both married couple and hip-hop duo based in Colorado. So thank you so much for joining us. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit, bit about who you are and what your roots are, both musically and politically. Okay, uh, I'm Big Samir. I was born in Belgium, raised in Congo. Uh, moved around quite a bit. My mother remarried. My stepfather was in the Air Force, so I landed in Colorado. Um, musician, father, husband, just all around hard worker. And uh, you know, I just stand for I just stand for the people, for what I believe in. Um, spiritually and and just you know I'm here to uplift people. So mine is uh, my both of my parents are from Hollis Queens. I was born in Hollis Queens. My whole family is from Hollis Queens. Um, my my grandmother, my mom is Puerto Rican and Dominican, uh, and my dad is Jamaican and French Creole. And um, I have super duper hip hop roots in my family just because being from Hollis, Queens, my aunts and uncles and dads were there in the 70s, 80s when all of this stuff was really starting to come in and pop off. And my grandfather is actually one of the first black reporters for the New York Times. Um, he tried to be an editor and they said that his race kept him from having that as a possibility. And it kind of broke my grandfather's spirit. But on my father's side of the family, uh, where my grandfather is, they've always been very involved in political understandings. On my mother's side of the family, always been very involved in politics in terms of how they affected the community. So. 
I remember one thing my grandfather told me when I was young in the 90s when everybody was wearing Malcolm X shirts and everything. And my grandfather was like, if only he would have had that support when it mattered. Um, it was dangerous for people to be associated with Malcolm X or Martin Luther King at the time because people were losing their jobs. Um, they were being oppressed for different reasons. They were being blacklisted if they were supporting either of these movements and they had white employers. And so, you know, my grandfather kind of brought that to me and I've been, you know, championing different causes ever since I was small because I was encouraging that way. What would you say is y'all's uh, biggest mi music influences? Oh man, I, when I was, I was raised, uh, my, my parents have really eclectic music taste, so jazz, blues, um, my mom really liked like Woodstock type of music, like rock music, because she understood that it was a derivative of blues. And so it was really important for, in my house, for us to understand every kind of music. I was yeah. really inspired by uh, Lauryn Hill when I was young. I loved Lauryn Hill, but I also loved Miles Davis. I loved Prince. Um, I really used to love Freddie Mercury uh, a lot because I, I loved how he, I loved watching him as much as I loved watching James Brown and, People like that. So, for me, growing up, you know, I grew up in, in the Congo, so a lot of uh, Congolese music, like Papa Wembe. But then when I moved to Belgium, uh, one of the first artists I listened to was Michael Jackson. You know, uh, in the '80s, and then from there, it's everything from classic rock to jazz, reggae, um, you know, hip hop, R&B, just everything under the sun, just just soaking it do, all in. Do you feel um, those influences come out in what you guys have been making? 100%. 100%, yeah. yeah, mostly, I think for me, mostly in my creative process, I really like artists like Bjork. Like, I like artists that have really open, honest freedom of expression um, in their creativity. Zap Mama is the same way. She kind of just starts with basic sonic elements and starts putting them together. So definitely comes out. Our music will go from reggae to hip hop to blues to mm -hmm. roots to Americana, yeah. like kind of all over the place. Yeah, I heard. I heard, I heard definitely. <laughs> So, Angel, you were born in New York, but you have family from Puerto Rico and Jamaica. And Samir, you hail from Belgium, but you're raised in the Congo. And I'm very curious how your experiences of, 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 of blackness outside of the U.S. or, you know, drawn from other um, places in the diaspora influence your view of your, uh, your music as well as your worldview. Um, you know, one, one thing Asia and I always talk about is how Growing up in the Congo, we ha we deal with more of colonization and not so much slavery. So that was more of my upbringing. It was more of, uh, you know, a, a history of people coming into your country and taking over there, right? And then, you know, I, my, my, my mom is half Congolese, half Belgian. So then we, we went back and forth between Belgium and the Congo and um, just feeling like an outcast whenever we're in Belgium. Like, they don't want you there, but somehow they came to your country and took over. You know what I mean? And it's the same experience for even Algerians in France. Uh, but then coming to America, I got to I got to see and experience something completely different um, with the Black American experience, talking about slavery and, and where uh, where a lot of the, the, the history come from, uh, 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 starts, and where uh, you know, a lot of Americans say, you know, I don't know anything past this in terms of where I'm from, yeah. you know, in terms of my lineage and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm thankful for the, for the rich history that, that I have and that I can that I can uh, uh, go back to, you know, and, um, but I know it's, it's different for here.
Yeah, my experience with blackness is very interesting because I was raised like super black, like in a super duper black household. Like in kindergarten, my mom has a picture of me and I have like eyes on the prize shirt. You know what I mean? Like super duper, like black history, trivia games. You know, and my father, my grandfather is half white um, and then half a uh, quarter Cherokee, quarter black. My grandfather worked for the New York Times, but we were always just raised black. Like I never questioned my blackness, right? White people always said I was black. Like I was always black. And then when I went, I went to Florida A&M for college. And that was the first time anybody ever questioned my blackness because of the way that I spoke or the way that I navigated things or my ideas, or it wasn't, at the time it wasn't popular in 2001 to have an Afro and to like be natural. Like this whole natural movement was not there. So I was holding that the whole thing down solo. You know what I mean? And they were saying like, you look like animal from the Muppet babies. And I had culture shock because you know, in New York is so diverse, right? And you see people that look like you and that don't look like you and you kind of feel the same way about it. You know, and then, and fam, I kind of had culture shock. Then my father got stationed in Colorado and we came to Colorado and I had culture shock there too because it was all white people everywhere. You know what I mean? And, and they were, I, I was very black to them. You know what I mean? Our friends started this project called The Very Black Project. And it, I told them, I like that you started this project because my experience is having to tell people all the time, no, I'm not just black, I'm very black. Like I'm a very black person, whether I'm kayaking or fishing or enjoying Freddie Mercury or Bjork, like I'm a very black person and our identity is infinitely expansive in all directions. And just because you have a limited understanding of blackness, it doesn't compromise my blackness in any way. You know, and I think my experience with blackness has really just been defending the expansiveness of it. Whether it's Afro-Latina, whether it's Black people being able to be light-skinned, very, very light-skinned, all the way to the tip of Creole people, to people in Africa, you know, talking to them about the African-American experience. Like, it's always just been in defense of Blackness's expansiveness, my experience with it. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We talked a little bit about lineages um, and you know, a lot of people, like we, I, myself, I'm the whole, the all I, but like my, you know, gen, you know, millennials and Gen Z and younger, we're actually like the post hip hop generation. So we were like, you know, we may have uncles or parents that were growing up um, when hip hop, we was like first kind of popping off and taking, taking the world by storm, but we've sort of come into it as like a second uh, second wave of, of its, of its uh, evolution. And then particularly, I mean, as hip hop spread across the country, there was also this disconnect from how it was very rooted in like the geography of New York City and the culture of New York City. And so, um, Asia, I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about um, uh, the connections that you have to sort of like the genesis of hip hop with like that green right in your family, those folks being actually involved in like when it was popping off. And, and how it might give you a different perspective than some of us who may be removed either geographically or generationally or otherwise from like the roots of what hip hop is. Yeah, sure. So my uncle was a DJ, uh, Groove Master Beef. So he used to do like all the park jams and stuff like that. My mom uh, knew Russell Simmons and Run DMC. So before Russell Simmons had Def Jam popping off, he used to hand out flyers and stuff for park jams. So my mom would help him. Uh, my other aunt was dating Curtis Blow at the time. My uncle designed the first logo and t-shirts for Boogie Down Productions, very involved in it. But one thing I learned, cause it's like a lot of people, like I reference my eth like ethnic cultural backgrounds, but my cultural background is music, like growing up in music and an urban environment and hip hop pretty much. So what I learned about hip hop is that hip hop is like a vehicle, it's like a spirit, like a vehicle, right? And it aligns itself with the stories of the youth. Like it aligns itself, it, to maintain its life, it has to get fresh stories and fresh perspectives and fresh understandings. So I've never been a person that's rooted in what hip hop definitively is. You know what I mean? I've always been a person that understood that it's going to change shape and form based on who it's aligning itself with and how they're expressing it. You know, and so I get in a conversation with old heads all the time. Like I'm, all, you always see me arguing with like some old hip hop heads saying, I understand that when you were growing up, it was this expression that you had, but it's almost like a memory, I mean, of something being etched in cement and not being fluid. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so I'm always encouraging young people because for a long time, stories of people like us were suppressed. You know what I mean? Like really pushed down, like 
you couldn't tell the you couldn't people would never hear these stories of the things that were happening in our neighborhoods if you were like a, a kid that was still closeted and was coming from a rough neighborhood there was no place for you to tell your story not on tv not on music not in in books anything like that you know and audrey lord is somebody who always talks about that a lot the importance of finding a medium through which to express yourself you know and hip-hop just happens to be the most accessible you know what I mean? You can go on YouTube and get beats and download them and rap to them. You can just like have your friend beatbox. You can just snap and rap. It, it's a very accessible art form that allows people to express their stories easily and fully. You know, whether they can do it at the capacity of Kendrick Lamar really isn't the purpose of it, right? It's really just letting people know that they have that vehicle. When hip hop was first coming out, you have people on the East Coast, like in New York, putting the life experience into music and the people around could relate because they, you know, they're telling the story of what's actually happened, right? And then, then on the West Coast was the same thing, whether it be the gangbang culture or on the Bay, uh, the pimp culture, and everybody around was like, yo, this is our lifestyle and this is what we, what we rock. Even run DMC, like, yo, we rock Adidas, we dress like this. And it wasn't until you had music videos that people started seeing, oh, that's how it is on that side, that's how it is on this side. The difference with, you know, me at the time, I, I grew up in Belgium in the late 80s, and it, it made no difference. We didn't know what East Coast, West Coast was. It was just all music. It was just all hip hop. You know what I mean? So we all, we, that's how that's how hip hop reached people overseas was that we just took it all as one, one music and not necessarily East Coast, West Coast, or you know what I mean? Um, no, I know exactly what you mean. And, 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 and I, always, I always like to bring that up because um, you know, when people come from New York, they have that experience and people come from certain certain parts of the country. But when people come from outside of the country, they just took it all in as, as just one body of music and uh, just appreciated it all for what it was. It's, it's interesting in hip hop because like most music changes hands regionally, right? It's like you go from East Coast to West Coast to this style or even blues, you have like Hill blues and Delta blues and Chicago blues. But hip hop changes forms generationally. You know what I mean? It like changed forms first regionally and it was just such a big thing that then now it's like, but now I'm going by generation, not by region. You know what I mean? I think the internet was huge in that, but it's interesting to watch it because people really hold tight to their definitions of it. And then when the next generation gets it in their hand, they're like, that ain't hip hop. You know what I mean? And they're like- yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost inevitable. I'm, I'm imagining like in the next like six or seven years, you're gonna have people who are like 25 being like ah oh, these 16 year olds just don't yeah. just don't know how it was <laughs> back, in yeah, back in 2015 when hip-hop was really good right. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. hip-hop is like a, it's a rebellious spirit like it sparks it sparks something inside of people that gives them the courage to express themselves in the ways that they need to express themselves and i mean that's why hip-hop and politics are so closely aligned very closely aligned. There's a very intimate relationship between those two things. And we're, we're already at the age now where, you know, songs are being remade that we were listening to, you know what I mean? Not too long, what feels like not too long ago. And kids, they're re remaking it. And I'm like, what are you doing to this? He's sounding like our parents, you know what I mean? Like whenever uh, Snoop and Dr. Dre was sampling stuff. And, but what's interesting is that uh, our son would play, if he hears a song that came out two years ago, he's like, throwback, 
I'm like, that's just from two yeah, years but, ago. Like to me, a throwback is something for like 15, 20 years ago. All right, well, how old is like your a, son? What is he like, seven or? Yeah. yeah, so like two years is like his whole, like half his life. Right, you know, right. Like <laughs> <that> throwback. <laughs> 10 I, years, like it's relative. I think that might be a way how we consume media now, though, because I even find myself when I'm, you know, going on YouTube and I'm looking for videos. Like if I see something that came out like even last week, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, so I don't need to watch that. I'm good. Let me do it. Exactly. <laughs> you watch like eight seconds of it and say you saw it. You're like, yeah, I saw that. Uh, Andrew, okay. you mentioned rebellion a little bit. And yeah. also because I know you have to run, I had this question for you um, about um, on your song, If You Didn't Know, you you say you steal the key from the oppressor, set the cage bird free. I'm pacing to the cadence of Coretta Scott King, Betty Shabazz, Asada, Angela, and Kathleen. And so I wanted I wanted to ask you in the line of t- talking about like what rebellion means. What to you does stealing the key from the oppressor mean? And how do the women you reference um, in this song kind of influence your work towards that end? You know the thing to me is it's twofold. Well, even more than just twofold. I'm talking about women, number one, who were women, right? That were incredibly intelligent, right? And a lot of times when women who are incredibly intelligent get discredited a lot or people go out of their way to discredit their intelligence, right? So you have women who are very intelligent. You have in that group of them, women who are mothers, right? And they were all black women. And so what they did, like even like just rocking a natural is like a huge statement. Right. Or showing up somewhere with your children in your community to say, yo, like this shit's mad racist. Right. And I got my kids right. I'm nursing a kid. I got an afro and I'm like confronting the police. You know what I mean? It's like occupying that dynamic and also like mediating conversations because of education, you know, and saying, okay, look, we're going to sit down and we're going to have this conversation this way, learning to understand and navigate emotion, you know, um, I really love all of those women, all of their published works, all of the things that they said, all the things that they stood for, because a lot of times intelligent black women that stand up for their communities are always marked like they're just racist, right? As if race wasn't a condition that was thrust upon them them to operate inside of. Same thing happened with Lauryn Hill when Lauryn Hill said, I don't make my music specifically for white people to listen to. It's not their experience. They're like, oh, she's a racist, but that's not a racist thing to say, right? It was an honest expression And in naming those women and taking the key back from the oppressor is being able to stand in your being and in your person, right, without compromise, you know, definitely with conversation, with confrontation when it has to happen, you know, with with compassion, but not with compromise in terms of who I am as a mother, as a woman and as a black woman, uh, all three of equal importance. We're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back after the jump. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're a show about hip-hop and politics, and most we talk about public policy, but there's all these ways of being political. It's interpersonal, it's, you know, in uh, resisting oppression by standing in your truth, by being who you are, and so I think feel like you were speaking a little bit of that, but Samir, I wonder if you want to elaborate a little bit on what you see, how you see politics manifesting in hip-hop as well. For a lot of young people, for people who listen to it, sometimes that's where they find this information from. They have no idea what, what goes on on the news. They don't turn the TV on, but they turn the music, and whether it be Kendrick or Chuck D, and they get this information from there. And I've always looked up to that. I've always looked up to artists like that, to artists who, who um, express themselves and where they stand in the music. You know what I mean? And I, and I, and, and I, I made a conscious decision to, to always do that as well, always speak, speak my mind. Yeah, and we were younger and we weren't as well informed. All of our, all our, like the emotional center of a lot of our activism came from like anger or frustration, you know what I mean? Or disappointment or, and then now our activism comes from a very positive center. Like it's not reactive, you know what I mean? It's proactive all the time. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to be reactive because of what's happening, but we try to be proactive. And the thing, hip hop and politics is so dope because they're two mediums that show people that black people are not a monolith. Like there's still conversations we have to have. We don't all think the same. We don't all move the same. We don't all do the same things. But it kind of lets us see like the areas where we can have these conversations because generally it isn't until something happens and some type of uh, activism has to take place in order to remedy what's happening or have a conversation about what's happening that people actually have the conversation. I think politics and hip hop both do that like very prevalently. 
you know, you might, sometimes the first time kids are hearing about any political concept might be through a hip hop song. And the first time kids that are active on politics are hearing about community concepts are through a hip hop song. You know what I mean? So those two, they're like, they inform one another, hip hop and politics. Yeah, it's like, to some people, hip hop makes it make sense. You know what I mean? Like, you're, sometimes in politics, people just don't understand the language that comes from the TV. You know what I mean? They They don't understand what they're reading. But then you get Killer Mike that breaks it down in the language that we speak. Now all of a sudden people are like, oh, that's what you meant. Like, now I'm putting two and two together. Yeah, it's like the total condition. Like you have rampant, conspicuous consumption and capitalism in hip hop, like with flossing and balling and all that stuff. And then you have people just talking about being dead broke and like having nothing. You know what I mean? So you get, if you look at hip hop thematically, you get so many political like concepts that are available to you at one time. Like here's excessive capitalism, right? Here's when we have no community programs, what happened. Here's people consistently being chased down by the police. Like every every political aspect, uh, uh, every political point that's affecting that community is going to become clear, right? Through the music you hear, it's telling the story of, of the communities. Um, would y'all say that y'all's music at this point is like a extension of your activism? Like, do you kind of view them as one in the same? I kind of, it depends. It's like, Yes, on one hand, directly, it, do we directly talk about political concepts? A lot of the time, yes, but in music, so much stuff is is veiled, right? There's sometimes when you rap and you're like this, this, and this, but I might write a story about a son that hasn't come out in 30 days, you know what I mean? And be talking about something very political, but I'm a poet as well. Right, so the, the power of being able to use metaphor is that you can give emotional context to something and give it a lot deeper meaning. You know what I mean? And when you look at a lot of poetry is also directly involved in the political and activist sphere because you're basically taking something and giving it more significance and by taking a tangible object, like say for instance, you have uh, teen suicide and you take a visible object that people can understand, that they can picture, that they can smell, that they can taste, that they can touch, and you explain this object and, and you go into depth about this object, and then you turn the object around and say, this object is me, right? And people go, oh my gosh, you are like a bleeding orange or whatever it is that the folks <laughs> saying. You know what I mean? But metaphor increases depth of meaning. So we are incredibly active and political in our music, whether the meaning is apparently clear to everybody initially, not always, not always. Yeah, and a lot of times we just, you know, we are people who push ourselves creatively, whether it be, it means, okay, we're gonna try to do this type of song, or we, you know what I mean, we're trying different things. But for example, you know, a few years back we were in the Bronx and our good friends Rebel Diaz had just came back from Ferguson. They were documenting uh, what was happening at the time. They were working for a, a a Latin news news station. And so they showed us the footage that they gathered and we're talking about how things were on the ground. You know, we, we had just met Tef Poe and directly after we watched this footage, made a beat, you know, we were in the studio and we created a song that people would view as political, right? And so I, I think it just depends on what song we're working on at the time or what the spirit in the room is. Yeah, we play different positions all the time. Like we play, we might, we, we're not, we recognize now when we were younger, it's like we were out there. Like you would see mm-hmm. pictures of us like, Ugh. 
And now it's like our position has changed. Like a lot of my friends who enter politics, like to become members of political organizations in their county or country or state or, you know, local area, they they say, okay, now the, the way I navigate this has changed because I can affect change differently from over here, right? You might not see me at the protests, like banging, you know, banging for the cause, but I'm the person that's making sure that the litigation is getting discussed. And I'm the person making sure that the laws are gonna change. And I'm the person, so I feel like like the music gives visibility to the problems in the community and the politics address those problems. You know, and, and, and we, have, we, we also work a lot with the mental health crises. We developed a financial literacy curriculum. There's a lot of stuff we do, but when it, in speaking to the point I made earlier about, you know, talking about things through music speak, we, we were dealing with a lot of suicide. Colorado used to have the highest teen suicide rate in the nation. We we're getting ready to go do a performance in a town where they had seven suicides in one week. In one week right? And so we're dealing with deep, deep levels of depression and people are not even paying attention. The kids, you know, I love the phrase, the kids are all right, because that's what people always say. These kids are so resilient, but they're getting damaged, right? They don't express themselves the same way that we do. You know, sometimes they can endure a lot, but that's not always healthy. So we have this song and it's, I, I just say, I have a friend who lives on the moon. It's always winter, even in June. I visit often, but I leave too soon. My lovely friend on the moon. She traveled quite slowly, one step each day. But things all around her slowly turned gray. We used to be close, now she's so far away. My lovely friend on the moon. And it's talking about the helplessness of having a friend that's dealing with depression, right? But I'm not specifically referencing depression. I'm just saying, I have a friend who lives on the moon. You know what I mean? And I get to see her every once in a while because the moon has phases, like somebody who's depressed. You know, and, and that, would be, that would be a way we veil something closely tied to our activism in our music. I know you got a jet, so last thing. Yeah, I got three minutes, but I love talking to you. I'm like pushing it till the last. <laughs> no, I would appreciate it. Yeah, um, you got any new music coming out soon, or anything people should, uh, you know? Yeah, where can people yeah, find you? We just put out a couple singles. The latest one is called 10K. We got a music video out for it. Our music is easy to find. It's just the reminders. We're at the reminders on all social media. So yeah, make sure you check out 10K. That's what's up. We also have a song called Lumumba. I was that's checking that out this morning, that's too. Yo, that song is fire. <laughs> like, for real. Okay. Thank you. So that's like one of our things. Like, it's our, our political and active presence in all of our music. It's just a matter of if you, if you understand us enough to catch what it is that's mm -hmm. happening. Sometimes it's direct like Lumumba. Sometimes it's indirect, like 10K. And again, you know, last year we locked in for a week during the summertime with our friend Carl Carell, and he produced a lot of the music. We just locked in and just started recording, but every day was a different energy. You know what I mean? Like 10K and Lumumba were recording, you know, two days back to back, but the energy's different, and we have a lot more songs like that. But, you know, Lumumba came from a conversation we were having. Then once we turned turned uh, the microphones on and, and, and the beat machine, then there it was. Yeah, that, that, those, both of those tracks, those are the first takes we ever did. Mm -hmm. Like, oh. those were like supposed to just be sketches, but the energy behind it, we were so pumped up. Love it when that happens. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's magic. it's magic. You know, Mariah, how it goes when you're like, oh, yeah. um, you do like 12 other takes and you're like, keep the sketch. 
Keep this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to get y'all back because I'm real curious in like how y'all work together to put, you know what I mean, to actually. Yeah, let's do. I'm, 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 I hate that I have to leave. I have a, an appointment, but, you know, let's do a part two to it because I want to have more. Like we answered a lot of questions here, but there's a lot more that I'd like to know about you guys as well and what it is you're doing and how we can work together and how we can create conversations and when I say create conversations, I don't even care if we have different opinions or understandings or perspectives. Just the fact that we can sit and talk about things and learn from one another and create an understanding and camaraderie. When you can create camaraderie with people that maybe aren't exactly like you, you start building a really strong community. You know what I mean? And I'm, we're probably very similar. Like, looking even at me and Rai right now, I'm like, yeah, we probably. <laughs> I think we're right here looking at you and Samir. Yeah, Y'all like- right here. I'm you from Liberia I mean? and I rap. <laughs> and yeah, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I want to have these kind of conversations where in the conversation, intelligence is present, activism, politics, music, but also joy, right? And understanding and, and, and creating opportunities for change and goodness and growth in these kinds of relationships. And that's really, you know, why we were excited when you asked us to do this. Because when I heard you speak and I had to like mute myself because I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I didn't even know. I, I, I mean, I knew of your activism, but um, I had never gotten to hear you speak to very pointed questions about, like, the relationship with hip-hop and music, which is what we, I mean, with hip-hop and politics, which yeah. is what we are always getting asked about. So, my sister, my brother. Yeah. Let's yeah, yeah, back. Yeah, we'll do a part two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Let's us know when y'all want to, when okay, we come to Georgia, we'll hit y'all up. Oh, you got oh, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah you got to. Absolutely. I'm Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. See you next week. Peace. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.